0: Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of my favorite episodes ever Patty Schmell of the band uh, The Upset, and of course, The Legendary Hole. Of Sybil, of, of uh, ton, tons more. Tons more we'll get to in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at podcast at gmail.com. There's an email address. You can send me an email there. You can find me on various forms of social media, at Damien. If you'd like to get in touch with me over Facebook, there's a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer and amazing booker, hence the reason we have Patty on the show this week and we're on a consistent run. I trust you. A consistent run of great guests. Uh, Tristan Abraham uh, runs that page. He will get the message to me. If you don't use Facebook and you still want to see some of the cool stuff that gets sent into the show that we put up on the Facebook page, you can find it on the Tumblr page. There's a uh out page. If you would like to support the show, the best way that you can do that is by going over to iTunes and subscribing to this podcast And then writing a review and rating it. Thank you to everyone that does that. Really appreciate it. And letting all your friends know. Tell everyone you know that you enjoy this podcast and that they should listen as well. Speaking of support, thank you to Vans for supporting this podcast. They came on board a while ago and have, you know, made it possible for me to do this podcast. So I'm not losing money on it anymore, which is amazing. So thank you, Vans. And they also let me book whoever I want to book. So thank you to them for doing that. I guess, uh... Before we get on to today's show, I think I've got some other stuff to get to, uh, n- namely Kim Ross, who is one of the main helpers for the show, someone that's been on board since the very beginning of the show. It's her birthday this week, so Kim, happy birthday. Now, I don't really do a lot of birthday shoutouts, but, you know, I got, I got to do a, one for Kim, that's for sure. Also, there is going to be a Turned Out of Punk Live coming to the city of Los Angeles. We are going to be doing a The Punk Wrestling Connection special edition of Turned Out of Punk Live. It's going to be with mu- people from music that love wrestling and punk and people from wrestling that love punk and of course wrestling and we're going to mix everyone together and talk and it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a fun time. could be a huge disaster <laughs> but I think it's going to be a good time. I hope it's going to be a good time. It's going to be at the resident downtown Los Angeles. Uh, that venue is a cool spot thank you to Madison for booking this all together for me so you can come down there at 3 p.m. on Sunday February 25th it's going to be a special live one lots of cool guests Nathan from waves Anthony from ceremony Bob from best coast uh, Brody King the uh, more more that I'm um, a lot more than I'm just saying off the top of my head there's gonna be lots of surprises too. some cool surprises that I'm working on as well Gonna be a fun time. I got merch. I got a merch. I made a shirt, a special shirt for it too. That'll be on for sale. So that will be for sale at that show. Probably only time that will ever be for sale. And it's a the punk wrestling connection shirt. And in the back, in different wrestling companies' letters, it says Unity because that's what this thing's all about: punk wrestling unity. And then later on that night, of course. There is going to be an amazing show Suburban Fight is doing, as well as putting on my podcast, is also putting on a, get this, no ring match. And it's not just a no ring match featuring just a bunch of people fighting, which does happen at the Odd Hardcore Show. No, it's all, it's also got kikitaro Darby Allen, Jeff Cobb, uh, former guests Brody King versus Matt Cross in the battle for the King of Punk. That's what I'm going to call it. Um, It's also got bands like Misery on it and Dead Heat. There's going to be bands wrestling, bands wrestling. It's like my dream. It's my fucking dream. I'm living it. I'm going to be living it February 25th. So please, if you are in the Los Angeles area or you want to make the trip, you know, fly on out and and get to hang out and we're going to have a fun time. Speaking of Los Angeles and being in Los Angeles, I want to keep it on a Los Angeles kind of tip this week. Hence, Patty Schmell from Hole and The Upset and just tons of amazing bands. She is someone that I've always thought was cool. You know, I've got... I've been, like, a fan of Hole for a really long time, obviously, like a lot of people. And I remember always seeing her being like, man, I bet she's, like, fucking awesome. And then to find out how in a punk and hardcore she is, it's just proof of my theory that all the cool people that I thought were going to be cool when I was younger wind up being somehow connected to punk rock and Patty's not just somehow connected to punk rock she's a total punk rock hardcore kid, this is a fun episode I do have to apologize for Mr. Pickles making a cameo appearance, Uh, don't worry he doesn't stick around for very long but you might hear some meowing in the background, Mr. Pickles of course is my cat Uh, also I got to uh, there's a couple like weird digital flubs I noticed on this file, I apologize for those, did my best to get rid of those, just a few of those but you know, that's what I do. I apologize for this kind of shit. I'm very uh, apologetic in that way. Uh, and that's it. I'm going to let you now sit back, relax, and enjoy legitimately one of my favorite episodes I've ever gotten to do for this podcast. Thank you, Tristan. Patty Schmel on Turn Out of Punk. Patty, it is an absolute honor to have you on this show.
1: Great. Thanks. Good to be here. Good to well, talk to you.
0: Well, as I was just telling you, you know, off air as we uh dangerously came close to having a unrecorded podcast. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, you to me have always been someone who I think is super cool. I've been fascinated by your music career. Sybil, I think, is super underrated as a band. And so let's dive in. I gotta start yeah. this off. Sorry, go on. Sorry.
1: I, I was going to say it's interesting because I I just discovered you. We were just saying that <laughs> just recently. And I know, you know, Fucked Up's been around for a while. And I, you know, I, I just said to my friend Allie Kohler, I was like, I know I'm late to this, but oh my God, I'm obsessed with Fucked Up. I just went deep <laughs> on your band. So um, it's so great to, to meet you and talk to you too.
0: Well, yeah. it is amazing to hear you say that. And I am beyond if people could see this thank god this isn't a video podcast because <laughs> i am i am a different shade of red right now
1: oh. um
0: but i i gotta start this off the way i start them all off which is patty mm-hmm. how yeah. did you get into punk do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre
1: yes i, I it was uh, where i grew up there was you know it's kind of suburb and rural it was marysville washington and wouldn't my sort of first introduction to punk rock was tv you know like uh saturday night live and patty smith in the first season of uh saturday night live patty smith was mm-hmm. on the show and it was it, I, it was she was different and 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 you know the the music was weird and she was cuz all i'd heard was you know mainstream rock radio and I immediately became obsessed with finding out whatever I could, which there wasn't. You know, I couldn't like go to the store, and and there was no punk rock records. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was. It became a, um, you know, it was kind of a, a, a when when something would come up on late night TV. You know, like on in because I grew up close to the Canadian border, I could get. We got SCTV, and so mm-hmm. there was. Um, Bands like Rough Trade mm-hmm. um, and um, Plasmatics were on SCTV on like Fish and Musician. Oh
0: yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> so there was there was that, and then you know VCRs. We would go to the go rent you know movies at the 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 every weekend, and there was films. There was Times Square which had Trini Alvarado and the whole and Tim Curry and the entire soundtrack was punk rock. It was, mm-hmm. you know, like in New York um it was Ramones, there was Gary Newman and it was it, amazing and different and cool and so that was where it began was and I felt connected to it because I was gay. <laughs> I mean, still gay. <laughs> and and I thought um It was, I just felt drawn to that Mm -hmm. Um, and that um, the kind of the energy of it. And I knew that it was people that were different, like me, you know. And we would take these trips into um, Seattle and we'd go to like every, you know, every year it was like this journey into the city. And we would go to the Pike Street Market and they had this little comic book shop called, it's still there, Golden Age Collectibles. And inside there was, like, comics and um, monster magazines that me and my brother would just totally geek out over. And this magazine called Rock Scene from, I guess, it was about the New York, you know, it was all New York bands. There was, like, Wayne County, Lou Reed, Patti Smith, and there's Patti Smith. And so I freak out. I I have to, so it was my, when we would go there, I would, like, try to snag, you know snap up as many rock scenes as I could mm-hmm. and um I I remember buying a Ramones leave home eight track
0: on eight, eight track tra- that's a <laughs> rare ass eight track down. I
1: know I know
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so it, yeah it was just that um it it was uh kind of just trying to search it out you know and mm-hmm. seek it out anywhere i could and um it, it you know punk rock showed up on late night tv and i remember early like late 70s i was really into kiss i have to say mm-hmm. <laughs> and i ha- and kiss i think at the time when i was that age like 12 11 when you love a band and you discover them at that age, they just kind of stay with you forever, you know? And you have no – so, like, which is weird because when I talk to, like, let's say, Allie Kohler, Mm -hmm. who's in my band upset, like, those girls, they're millennials, right? So they talk about their – they have that same sort of um, connection to, like, the Spice Girls, you know, because they (laughs) discovered them at that age. yeah. Um, and so I think once you you when you're a band and you know and a, and a kid loves you at when they're twelve, yeah. that kid's always gonna say, you know, I love the Goo Goo Dolls or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, whatever that.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, yeah.
0: It seems like Kiss was is like a like an obsession specifically with people. From the Pacific Northwest, at you like your peers. Like it seems like you uh-huh. know you talk to the people in the Melvins, or you talk to like you right. know, that Kiss tribute or sorry, that Kiss tribute record that came out too, right? Right,
1: right. And yeah, it, and and Kurt loved them. Yeah, and that and and the Melvins, and I I think we didn't we didn't have much there, and I think it was <laughs> you know that Kiss was weird, and I don't know, like for. Um, you know maybe that, i don't yeah it's interesting because um yeah i don't know what that connection is but yep. they were um but once once i discovered kiss i had to find out you know you just kind of go crazy with it and look at i had every record and <laughs> i had to look at every little piece of Um, Like, whatever was written on the record, you have to look at the liner notes, you have to look, and I'll never forget, you know, Peter Chris plays Pearl Drums, and, you know, and then, and Paul Stanley plays, you know, Ibanez, or whatever, you know, KISS uses Gibson guitars exclusively. (laughs) So, um, and then, you know, whatever KISS, whatever band's KISS was associated with, then we would, like, have to go find out what it was, and, you know... And so then, you know, like we were saying earlier, it just sort of expands and, and you find out like, well, Gene Simmons is really into this really corny band called New England from, <laughs> I don't know, and he produced the record and so you have to go get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did yeah. that lead you to the New York dolls at all? Like, was that like on your radar at that age yeah. or no?
1: You know, what, what, brought me to the New York dolls was rock scene magazine, yeah. but yeah. also, you know, David Bowie and glam mm-hmm. and T-Rex. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And mostly Bowie though. Bowie was like the, brought me to that. Um, just the, the all the, the New York glam and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, I heard T Rex on the radio. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but yeah, but that was—I didn't really get crazy about T Rex till later.
0: You know, but. It's funny when you brought up Carol Pope and 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 uh, of and Rough Trade earlier. Like, you know, I think mm-hmm. that they're such an underrated group, and even here, like they—they they obviously get written up in music press here a little bit more, I would imagine than they do in the States, but they were just so ahead of their time, like musically and politically and just everything about that band. Like, I just think they're one of those bands that really deserves a, a rediscovery.
1: Yes. And they're such great songs. And yeah. you're right. You know, like it was, um, and they were, it was early on mm-hmm. and, and they had that, they had such a cool look and, you know her the, the, the what carol pope's singing about and well, but of course they're canadian i think canadians were always a little a little pro- progressive canadian bands in, in general what i how i discovered a lot of music was through the cbc because where i had a small sort of um boombox that mm-hmm. i what that i kept right by my bed and at night i would put on my headphones and plug in and then move the antenna around to get Uh, reception, and I could tune in. Um, a station out of Vancouver that would broadcast a show called Brave New Waves. Yeah. With Brett Bambry. Absolutely. And he started in like, I think 84, 85, but he would play bands from, you know, a lot of great Canadian bands. I heard the Asexuals, which Asexuals were like the beginning of like, pop punk mm-hmm. you know john Kastner might be responsible so. he's responsible
0: <laughs> so give him the blame or the credit as I know, I know
1: i know when i was i was saying that i was like i was giving him credit but then i was like maybe it sounds bad that I, it, like, you know, you're not responsible for bad bands but it, anyway yeah so there was the asexuals and then there was um just bands out of vancouver there was mm-hmm. um Uh, Well, there was like, you know, 5440 obsessed with that band. And I loved all those. And
0: that's another band because of that cover that Hootie and the Blowfish did. And because they had Uh some radio rock hits, people forget, but those first two records are fucking awesome post-punk albums.
1: They are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, I love that. You know what? And you're the first person ever, I think, bring them up on the show. So thank you for doing that because I like, they're one of those bands. Like I've got, I don't know eight records by them I love them yeah so much okay. I'm gonna
1: go deep and I'm gonna say it might not be deep but I love platinum blonde deep. love 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 I don't know what how I you know I just heard you sigh and take a deep breath no
0: no I I because I'm about to I think cry take you to another place <laughs> right now no because they, okay. <laughs> they're they did a single like their very first seven inch which is like impossibly rare like a close to a thousand dollar record at this point um, is one of the top 10 best punk records to ever come out of Canada.
1: Whoa. Yeah. Is it, is it, it you mean that the standing in the dark one?
0: No, oh. it's before that. It's like a, okay. they did like a seven inch when they first formed, I guess. And it was like, <gasps> and I've never even really seen them on that many old flyers. So I don't know how much they played yeah. around at the point, but it's like a full on punk record.
1: Whoa. And never it, known this. It's never, it's Oh my God.
0: It got bootlegged, uh, I guess 10 years ago, 12 years ago, but the original is still very high on my want list. But yeah, no, they're another band that, you know, once again, it all comes back to these, these Canadian rock bands having these weird roots in punk rock.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I loved, well, then there was the bands that were punk and then just came and went. I mean, are the pointed sticks still around? Because that was very important to me. The pointed sticks, and there was a band out of um, Vancouver called the Moral Lepers, which yeah. was yeah. sort of like so um, quirky and different and, and, and with a female vocal. Mm-hmm. And so anytime there was a girl singing, I was like excited about discovering what it was and just, yeah. So in the modern all the typical stuff out of Vancouver and then DOA, mm-hmm. which was one of my first shows, was going to Seattle to, to see DOA. With the fastbacks,
0: Well Now, oh. I, I believe me, we're going to do a deep dive on that show in a second. But before we uh-huh. do, was that your very first show, or did you see anything locally kind of before uh, that?
1: Um, I saw the Ramones at oh, the sick. Eagles Eagles Hippodrome, which was a pretty big venue. But it was tough to go see bands when you were under twenty one, mm-hmm. unless it was like a college show because they they were they had strict you know, the, eventually, the teen dance ordinance showed up for us in Seattle, which was you—you um, you couldn't. There had to get you had to have a permit to have a band and have dancing, and it was just some like rigmarole to get kids to to stop going to punk shows and having riots. <laughs>
0: Well, and it was like, and it's like Footloose, but targeted at punks.
1: Exactly. Yes. Which there's a movie that we're going to write together yes.
0: soon. Yes. Yes. A um, new uh, a new redux of that uh, with a better soundtrack. Yes.
1: But, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, every time there was a show in Seattle, there was like there was a a classic. There was a big a circle jerk show that there was a riot, and mm. um, so it, yeah, it was like God, can we just not? have a riot and so we can have a show.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the circle jerks from the sounds of it, like that's like a reoccurring theme. I think they were like the party that would come to town and ruin the party. I like, and I love that band, but they, it just seems like when you talk to people, it seems like that circle jerk show would bring out a different audience than that, than was the punk audience. It would just bring out kind of like a, like almost a party jock vibe.
1: Yeah. I don't know about if it, like, then though, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if even party jocks kind of knew about the circle.
0: No, I, I mean like the punk, the punk rock equivalent oh, yeah. of party jocks.
1: Right. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Those guys. I yeah. know those guys. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there was a club uh, called the Corolla gardens that mm-hmm. had um, one room. It was interesting. It was an old movie theater and one, one side. So there was two rooms, the, which, had, you know, originally were two screens, I'm sure. And one side was, they'd have, like, metal bands. And then the other side would be punk rock bands. So, there, like, one night it was, um, you know, like, the Violent Femmes, which was one of my early shows that I remember going to. The Violent Femmes on one side. And, you know, like, actually, Guns N' Roses played one of their first shows there. <laughs> In the other room, <laughs> That's and it was weird awesome. because Duff McKagan was this old punk. I mean, he was like an original—the drummer rocker. of the Fastbacks, right? The drummer of the Fastbacks. I have the single. It's your yeah. birthday. He's playing on it, and he's wearing—it looks like a black turtleneck in the picture. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so Duff moves away. You know, he was in Ten Minute Warning. He was on these yep. great punk rock. Pitch. And he moves away to L.A. and then he comes back. And then he's in this band with these rock guys next door. Um, I didn't know at the time any of that. I was just in this room watching the Violet Femmes. Um, and, yeah, so they, that club managed to stay around. And I, I was able to see, like, Husker do, the Melvins, and Soundgarden all in one show. Is one like show? Four? Yeah, it was like Soundgarden's first or second show. And Chris Cornell was the drummer.
0: Oh, whoa. So who's on yeah. vocals for that lineup? Is it like Yeah, I
1: don't remember, but I remember early Soundgarden with Chris Cornell was the drummer, and then he eventually came out and sang. And Matt Cameron, they got Matt Cameron from some like really arty muso band that had a lot of time signature changes. <laughs> but like, you know, super art school, like, but he was like a genius kid. Yeah. You know. And then yeah so there was Soundgarden Melvins and Husker do.
0: What a lineup. Uh, oh some, my god. S- s-
1: I know. Some say Husker, some say Husker. I don't know.
0: I don't know either. <laughs> I always kind of I very, I find like depending on uh the circle I'm in I'll go Husker or Husker. Yeah. <laughs> what I I now I want to go back in time because yes. believe me all this stuff I want to talk about all this stuff but uh the Fastbacks uh show that you saw with DOA uh, mm-hmm. so what was that show? I guess it'd be a completely different show going experience to being at that like big Ramon show.
1: Yeah. the um, that, the, the DOA show was at gorilla gardens and we would all go out into the parking lot and drink and then go in and, and see the show. And I went in, um, the fastbacks started playing. I watched the fastbacks and then I went outside and, was I was drinking outside and I got arrested and I missed DOA. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, that was the first time I got arrested for, you know, was minor in possession. And then, you know, being mouthy and, you know, police show up because they would always just kind of cruise around when the kid, the weird punk rock kids, and Yeah. So I got arrested. I didn't see DOA, but I remember seeing the Fastbacks, which I'd seen them a few times and I was blown away by the Fastbacks because number one, Kim Warnick was my punk rock idol. She was just, um, they were great because they were kind of power pop punk, Mm -hmm. you know, and they were, they had harmonies like Lulu and Kim would sing together and it was so good, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Um they they're, they're yeah. like they're the band like you, you know we talked about you talked about the asexuals and and credit for inventing pop punk. Uh I think 100% credit also to Fastbacks because like yeah. that that first 12-inch on No 3s is like Yeah. it it holds up like it sounds like it could have been come it could have been written and come out yesterday especially the song yes. like in America.
1: Uh-huh. And K Street and yeah. oh, it's so good.
0: So good and, and once again another band that I think is unfortunately really overlooked and it's right
1: when that yeah. happens that makes m- that when when that happens i always think the world isn't fair mm-hmm. i'm sorry <laughs> I was like, why you know why
0: well, <laughs> it gives it gives the people that will are willing to do those deep dives like us chances yes. to make discoveries <laughs> right yeah um so where did you kind of go from, you know, going to this sort of fastback show obviously, you know, arrest uh, also hanging over your head, but like uh, were you playing music at this point or were you yeah. just still going to shows?
1: Yeah, I was playing music. I started playing um in a, my first band was Milkbones and it was these um my friend Dan and Joe, they were um the only other punk rockers at school <laughs> and we were in a band and they'd come over to my house and we would, you know, just make up stuff, make up songs. And they were all about school and, um, just, you know, and we would, our first show was, a, you know, like a party at somebody's barn on their property. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and the accused played. What? That's your first yeah. show Play
0: with the accused? Yeah,
1: yeah. It was us and the accused in somebody's old barn somewhere.
0: That's awesome. Was it So was it Blaine singing at this point, or is it still with the original singer? Oh, Blaine. Yeah,
1: it was Blaine. And yeah, it was right after it was like Blaine was done with the farts, moves on to the accused. And then, yeah, and they were like, then they got like, maybe they might have been the inventors of thrash metal. I don't
0: know. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) No, I I think honestly they're one of those bands that – you know, like that's they, they moved the needle in so many bands, obviously, yeah. afterwards got influenced by that. Were, were yeah. you guys that kind of vibe? Like, milk no, bombs? that was
1: what that was my next comment was <laughs> we, we in that whole thing, because we we're all punk rockers and all friends, mm-hmm. you know, we we're mm-hmm. all the same scene that and and you accused were local. They were like, I, one of them, maybe Dana, the drummer, they we we're way out in the sticks. For this party and the accused, like one of them had to have lived in Everett or nearby, so that's why. So we were all in the same kind of scene, so it mm-hmm. was okay for that. This, you know, Phil pulled it off w- a show with the accused.
0: You know, that's people awesome. liked us. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: I think that's the thing about the uh, the scene that we're kind of in Seattle and surrounding areas at that time. At least you know, coming from a complete outsider, but it seems like there was a lot of musical diversity like it wasn't as codified as like when you look at like Washington DC or Boston and in those yeah. places where everyone's kind of like following a, a similar sonic path it's like you got fastbacks playing with DOA playing with the accused mm-hmm. playing with with you guys everyone's doing something different
1: yeah and that club Gorilla Gardens because of that rock room mm-hmm. and then the punk rock room we were kind of cool and just kind of sort of mixing you know yeah yeah <laughs> and and so there were, you know, like bands like the accused playing and then I mean it was kind of weird maybe because I it was we were kind of a real super uh, like a rock it was super rock in Seattle, you know, it was yeah. long hair and and um so the merging of the two and then here comes malfunction. You know, oh. out of that is mm-hmm. born Malfunction and then the Melvins slow down. You know, their first all the first Melvins, it was fast. Yeah. And then they became the Melvins and they slowed it down. And so there was that kind of cool rock thing. Mm-hmm. Black Sabbathy. But yeah. And um well,
0: that's the birth of sludge. Right. So we've got the yes. birth of thrash metal, the birth of pop punk, and the birth of sludge all coming in the same place. All,
1: all out of Seattle.
0: Yeah, out of Seattle.
1: <laughs> and I always, uh, growing up there, I was always like, God. It was So like it wasn't the place that any band would come to really, except for Van Halen and Rush. You know, yeah. it was that.
0: <laughs> well, right and there, so. it's a rock town, right? Like Rush and Van Halen.
1: Yeah. And Kiss.
0: And DOA, I, I guess, too. Yeah. DOA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, like I were, were you had you like seen the melvins were like did you sorry did you, see, did you see the melvins when they were doing the fast kind of stuff that era No but I had a
1: um I had a compilation the very first um the very first K compilation cassette has the melvins on it and they're fast on mm-hmm. that and that was I'd only heard them and um and they did a, an amazing malfunction cover later on on a on a compilation called CZ a CZ Records compilation where and they cover a malfunction song that's amazing
0: was it on deep end is it like deep something yeah, yeah
1: that's it that your deep six compilation. deep six compilation it. that's it sorry yeah and it's on CZ Records yeah, and that's, that's a so it's great sound garden sound garden doing a song called the heretic and the guitar part is Amazing! That song isn't on anything except for that, and then the "Pump Up the Volume" soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> they you were
0: gotta like get that sick money somewhere.
1: I know, and I was thinking they probably thought you know that that they could this um, you know film wanted some song. They were like, oh, just throw them the heretic because I didn't. I felt like they didn't really give that song enough credit, but I mm-hmm. think they just thought it was like one of those songs that's just kicking around. Ah but it's so good.
0: It's so but good. It's yeah. Really good. That's a great compilation. Yeah. CZ records too. I guess like so many people talk about obviously sub pop, but man, that label had a great run of releases. Yeah.
1: Yes. The, Daniel house who was in skin yard with mm-hmm. Jack and Dino and they had their own kind of cool thing
0: happening. Totally. So uh-huh. where, and so what happened to milk bones? Did you guys, sir, did you ever record with milk bones?
1: Yeah, we did a, like a four track thing. And then, um you know, everybody grew up and went to, you know, to college. And then I I you know moved to Seattle and started kept playing in bands. And um the next band I was in was um we were called the primitives. This was before the Primitives UK. <laughs> and they, and they it was um me and these three guys from an even smaller town called Snohomish. They were still in high school. They were like seniors in high school. And I was just out of school. And it was full on hardcore. And then with some like stooges. So hardcore with stooges and then some replacements too. Like, you know, inspiration. So we played a ton of shows we played like in Tacoma and like when that, when a bunch of Tacoma venues would start, we played with green river and that's when I started to go kind of play more shows out in Olympia and Tacoma and see bands out there. And, um, I saw, you know, like early, um, Nirvana.
0: Well, no, no, no. <clears throat> This band sounds amazing though. Do you guys record? Did you record with primitives?
1: um we there's a bunch of live stuff out there and there was a um our first show we played a band in a parking garage um it's, it was and there's recording of that the guy that did the sound that night recorded everything and he is sitting on a top of you know recorded bands from that time and oh. somebody sent me somebody sent me a um a link to um two primitive shows. Like one was New Year's Eve with um, Green River and then that Tacoma one with the Melvins. And we did a, I remember doing, we did a Who's Could you cover, cover, um, Data Control. And and I was like, I'm not doing it. I can't. And I, like, it was that, at that point, I mean, I'd always known that I, I felt um, discriminated against because I was a girl and I was a drummer and I, I wanted to just be... Even with everybody, you know, I, I started to really, it was right in my face. So I got so conscious of it and started to say things, you know, like, I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be like, because you guys are all bro no offense, but I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna be a part of a song that's saying that. Mm-hmm. And That's like when when things started to crumble in that path. (laughs) Like we went to we went we all went to Seattle to see Murphy's Law open for Beastie Boys, and um, when the Beastie Boys get on stage, they're like pouring beer on the stage and like saying, "Let's get some girls to mop this up," you know. And the guys are like, (laughs) you know, and some girl. Did it, and I and I just on the way home. I was like that. The guys were like, what, "What a great show!" And I was like, "No, I don't like it." I, I that, and that was another moment where I was like, "Fuck that! I'm not." Fuck you guys.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's it's, so. it's, it's you know this has come up a lot on the show, but like it's amazing how you know how much shit women and and you know people of different sexual orientations, people of different genders, you know non-binary people have to put up with to just, to just enjoy punk, you know, in a quote-unquote progressive mm-hmm. music scene. It's like, no, yeah. it can be just as fucked up and regressive as anywhere.
1: Yeah, and that was, you know, punk rock, those shows at the Grill Garden, that's where I saw more women playing music, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. I saw Carleen Heitman, one of the greatest Seattle guitarists of, you know, that time, She playing guitar, and I saw – um, you know Kim warnick and just more women playing music and then um but there was also that you know there was that pit you know that was like happening at the shows and all guys pushing and I was in it I had to get in it and I had to be i i wanted to be because I, I was i felt that way too i was angry about whatever I was angry about and I had to express it like through my music or, you know, with my friends in the pit, you know, I know it sounds corny, but it felt good to get pushed. And I felt good to have somebody bump into me and like push me. And then I felt good about it. I like that. And it made me feel alive and then, um, part of something. And then it got shittier When, you know, as, you know, just when no girls, you know, could be there. And, but I wanted to be just, I wanted to be in there with the guys. Um, Yeah. So, um,
0: did the primitives like, you know, as a, as a band, did you have hopes of like recording and doing something with the band beyond just,
1: yeah, yeah, we, we, I, we would go out to shows and I remember. We went to Bellingham, which is totally north. (laughs) We were always going south for shows, but this one moment there was like a new all ages venue that opened up in Bellingham, and it was Beat Happening and the Screaming Trees. Oh wow! So it was a, and I'd I'd met the guys in the Screaming Trees at a Black Flag show, uh, but I and they show I'll have to go back. Like it was like eighty summer of eighty five, I think, and. Um, it was at some, like, boxing club or something. And at between bands, it was Tom Tricoli's dog and Black Flag. Yeah. And and so after Tom Tricoli's dog, we go outside to smoke cigarettes, and we're standing around, and these guys are standing there. And it's these two guys with flat-top haircuts, big guys, flat-top haircuts and trench coats. And then this one guy standing with them with this – Nick Cave haircut with a, sort of like that that kind of mullety Nick Cave, you know. And these guys are, oh yeah, we're in a band. And um, well, what's your band? Called? And they gave us a cassette and it was Screaming Trees. Lanigan wasn't there, but it was both Connors and um, uh, uh um the drummer. What how? Uh, Mark,
0: it's Pickerel? Mark... Pickerel.
1: Yes, Mark Pickerel. Yeah. He now plays guitar and stuff. And he's like, kind of has a cute vintage store or something, but he, it was him. So they gave us this cassette. I remember leaving that show that night and popping in that cassette. And we were all like, Whoa, these guys are like a real band. You know, we <laughs> usually, you know, it just, it, it was good. So cut to later on going to this all ages club in Bellingham. And it, Seeing screaming trees and beat happening, and I remember- w- and I was there with the guys in the primitives, and I was like, well, we need to it was like we need to make a tape, and then we need to like give it to people yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like how do we get on a good label? you know like you need to go to fallout records and just drop it off um, and so I did all that, you know those guys were like, I don't know what they were like smoking pot and stuff
0: <laughs> and, there's nothing wrong with that but yeah no, no yeah, yeah yeah it could no. ruin it could definitely did. ruin your uh, band's motivation as a teenager exactly
1: no no like just but they just didn't that that was what they wanted to do and i was yeah. like no there was no drive to do yeah. it you know, like they were just like wanting like i was like guys we gotta do shit <laughs> so we broke up you know eventually we broke up and um and it it always seemed like once you know like you were i, I would work in be in my band and then um work towards something, and then then we it was like breaking up with a in a relationship, then you think, i'll never have a band that great again, or you know whatever mm-hmm. I do have to do yeah. yeah. um, but there's always something new to start um. But yeah, it was so great those days going out and being inspired by other bands and seeing what they were doing, and then you know saying, "Okay, we have to be that good and that you know that's cool." I'm told I want to write a song like that. You know,
0: did that impact like your kind of you know the next bands you joined, making sure that you had people in these bands that were serious about doing it?
1: Um, not not so much serious, but more like. Yeah, I mean, that wanted to show up in practice and yeah, play shows yeah. and, like, put out a record. And, um, yeah, and, and so, but, you know, my next band All and we started playing more Seattle shows. And, you know, I'd have these little goals that I'd set, like, I want to play, because I wanted to do what my, you know, the bands that I looked up to were doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to play a sub-pop Sunday at the Vogue. And then I did, you know, and then you just get bigger and bigger. Well, now I want to play at the blah 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 place. And you know. So um yeah, so that's when when I was in this the all-girl band that it was called Dolls Squad. Because that was the we everybody was naming their bands after a B movie, you know, and then Mud Honey named their band Mud Honey. Um and so that's when I met Bruce Pavitt and 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 Steve and Mark Arm and um, uh, it just started hanging out with Bruce, which became I would go to Bruce's apartment and he would just pull out the records and start talking, and we would just hang out, listen to records. And the he, I remember sitting down and him pulling out um, Pixies, Surfer Rosa, and he said, "You got to listen to this. This is." You know, my friend Steve Albini just did this record with this band and then putting it on and, like, mind-blown, totally. Yeah. And the first White Zombie record, which sounds like a – it sounds like Pussy Galore, kind of. Um, and just, you know, the, him just stacking up the Spaceman 3 um, and just him talking about um, how he wanted to be ha- make sub-pop, you know, And talking about Green River and they just broke up and Mudhoney was starting and it was such a cool time. He must have had
0: like the craziest record collection, like Bruce at that point, like his house. Yeah. Because he had been doing sub pop for so – like the zine and the tapes. So he must have had like just like the – it must have been like a treasure trove of like American independent music. Like
1: just, you know, like those, you know, crates everywhere and then on the wall there were colored vinyl you know singles 45s lined up on one side and then he was telling me how he wanted to do you know this start eventually the sub pop singles club where yeah. you know you sign up and then you get um and then you know different colored vinyl and just really excited about what he wanted to do and then he was doing he was DJing a lot. So I'd kind of show up where he's DJing and kind of flip through his records and look at and talk about, you know, what he was you know, He like, be, he'd drop a bunch of acid and put on a psychic TV record. <laughs> you know. well,
0: as one will do. Yes. <laughs> I like, and it's, it's funny. Cause like, you know, and then sub pop, when the label gets going and the singles club starts, you can tell it's like, Oh, this is a record label run by record nerds.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And Jonathan was kind of the more businessy guy, and mm-hmm. Bruce was the, the nerdy, I got a billion records guy.
0: It's yeah. funny how that's almost like a model, like for, or like an archetype, I should say, for indie labels. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same sort of thing with Matador, with uh, Chris Lombardi and Gerard. Like you always need that one dude who's, or one, sorry, one person who's like, the, the business person. And then one person who's like, uh, this is the great band. This is the next great band.
1: Yeah. Because one person, like I, I'm, I know, like, let's say about ourselves, like, I know I'm not the, you know, typing on the computer numbers person, you know, you know, you just know. And so, um, you, you just, you have to have that partner to do all that.
0: Hence, why well, my you, brother was the one that reached out to you. Yes, and now I'm the one who gets to enjoy doing the podcast with you.
1: Yes, yeah, that's yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So when, like, where did you kind of go? Like, uh, you you're playing with this uh, new band, and uh, like, did you was there like recordings that you guys have, or is there? Recordings? Yeah,
1: we went to we was the first time I recorded at. um it used to be called Triangle Studios, and then it was called Reciprocal, and then it's called Word of Mouth. But it was the the studio that Nirvana recorded "Bleach" in. Yeah. And then you know the following week, my band was there, Tall Squad, <laughs> and we were recording you know our uh, you know quirky songs, and um, and I I remember being frustrated in that band because I wanted it to be heavier, mm-hmm. and there was no, no heavy at all there, <laughs> at all. So I moved on from there, but yeah, that was the first time. And that, that recording was, it was cool to like, cause that was kind of the spot to go record in. Um, did that ever come out? No, it's a cassette somewhere, not even released. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, But but you don't, you never like to, I, it's like you never like make covers and sold it as a demo even. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. So like, so you, I guess you leave this band and, and, that yeah. is, is and then is it Sybil
1: next? Yeah. Is it, uh, yeah. I mean, like I played in a few, like nothings, you know, just kind of trying to, yeah, it's gotta be Sybil. Sybil came along for sure at that. And that was like 1990. Yes. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. And was your like? Were you and you had you and your brother ever like talked about playing music? Had you played music together before?
1: Never. We were always we're super close. Yeah. And shared everything like all our musical interests and you know obsession for um, famous monsters magazine and <laughs> rock scene yeah. and Kiss. You know we shared our Kiss collection. Um, So he was ne- he never played music he's an artist so you he that he was you would draw and i was the musician and i would play yeah. drums um, and then he wanted to play guitar and he, i remember bringing like i bought him a guitar like some cheapo thing and when he was like 18 and he started just pl- playing it and then um, when I was hanging out with Bruce, I brought home the Spaceman 3 record with that cover. It's the, it's the perfect prescription. And there's a Jaguar guitar on the front mm-hmm. cover. And he saw that. And that was the guitar he wanted was the Jaguar. So then that he saved up <laughs> and he got a, a Fender Jaguar. And then that's when we started Sybil. And because he was, it, we were both really into Galaxy 500 mm-hmm. and um, Spaceman 3, and um, we wanted to make music like that.
0: It seems yeah. like, sorry, uh, sorry Dimitri. And,
1: and, and Mud Honey, you know, like all the. Mm-hmm. Um, Tammy, who sang in Mudhoney, I mean, in Sybil, went out with Dan from Mud Honey. you know, at, when they were kids. So she, they were friends. So mm-hmm. we were like, that's, you know, those were, that's what we, we wanted to do what they were doing.
0: Yeah. When it's, and, you know, and it's like, if you mix those three bands, I kind of like, you know, and obviously there's like a, a, a real strong melodic sense too to Sybil. But like, that's the, it seems like that's what you, you, you were able to achieve.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah heavy but with melody too
0: yeah. yeah yeah we're like uh it's funny too cuz like Spaceman 3 it's once again much like kiss it seems to have like a disproportionately high effect on music that came out of Seattle or bands that came out of Seattle is it like from Bruce playing that record that everyone kind of gets hip to it
1: yeah i think so and it, and then also you know the mudhoney did a lot of stuff with B- Spaceman 3 i don't know they did yeah, the the they did Yeah, the, and then that all the controversy.
0: Yeah, the discontrov that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome.
1: But I don't know, that like Spaceman Three, their music just just fit I I just felt good with it. Yeah. You know? And um and then eventually years later, you know, well, not that many years, but like getting high on heroin and like just put, I just need a little heroin and some Spaceman Three, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. Like going before, obviously that period starts when you're just kind of hearing about Spaceman Three and that and that sort of scene. Is it like, like, are bands like the U-Men were they like still around? Is or is that kind of died yeah. off that scene? The-
1: yeah. The U-men were uh, like big early on and yeah. um, they they were still playing around, and, and but they weren't, um, I don't know, it seemed like they were like the older, um, they were like the kind of senior, <laughs> you know, they were first, yeah. you know, yeah. they were, yeah. there was respect for them. And, and John Bigley wasn't going to change the, how the U-men <laughs> sounded, you know. Yeah. but they 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 had um you know tom price who went on to be in Gashoffer, and mm-hmm. um and john bigley was a good friend of tom Hazelmeyer, yeah. who started you know amrep and so um there was that but i don't remember and like you know bruce be- loved the u men but it didn't seem like they cared about being like doing anything more than what they were doing, you know, it wasn't like,
0: I don't think they have a sub pop single, right?
1: Yeah. No. And there were sort of the elder statesmen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It really does feel like there's like a, it's like a a change in scenes that's kind of happening around like, you know, 89, 80 or ninety even where like the old, the old's kind of run its course. And there's like this new crop of bands that are, kind of, form, not forming, but just taking over.
1: Yeah, and it seemed like the 80s in Seattle was, there was some great new wave bands, and then, and there were, you know, there was like the lewd and the farts and the refusers. But then there was this pop, um, sort of power pop thing too that was uh, cool. Um, And then, yeah, and then in 89, things started to, Kind of change, like, but it, there was the metal thing too. Like, mm-hmm. metal was huge. Um, like, there was a band called Shadow, and it was these boys that had the best outfits, <laughs> metal outfits. Look them up. You yeah. have to. <laughs> Shadow, young kids with, um, you know, the, the, like, those perfect checkered spandex pants and sleeveless shirt with zipper. And, um, it's Mike McCready. From Pearl Jam, was yes. in shadow, and then um, these two brothers, and I forget what their name, uh, uh, but yeah, they, it was. There like some metal friends became, you know, kind of like sort of wove into more like a little ha- different sort, like more grungier. I hate using the word, but mm. in the early nineties, sort of reformed into know from metal to a different thing you know like like mike mccready in oh, yeah. Pearl jam
0: is it it's like and, and i guess maybe this has been brought up before and i'm just is it that is it that club the fact that you have that kind of like forced conversion that must have happened in those hallways of metal fans yeah I, I
1: always i always fans. think that like is that what is that how it happened yes yeah. <laughs> and um, because you could still, you could go to a punk show and have long hair, and uh, and like it was okay. W- like the Motorhead backpatch, yeah, vest vest people were cool at our show. You, yeah, Motorhead and, and always and, seems
0: to get a pass, though. You know. Uh, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. And and you could go. I could go to a Venom show. Yeah. You know, and it was okay. Yeah. And yeah. that. Yeah. So there was that sort of like maybe that's like that that sort of m- mixing of those things together. Created grunge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And and then, you know, like Jeff Ament and Stone were in Green River. And I remember thinking that Green River, like I think Mark Arm wanted to be um a little more Stooges. Oh, and definitely. Jeff and Stone wanted to be more Aerosmith. You know, yeah, and yep. um, and so that's where the that division
0: happened. Well, and I don't know. And well, there's also uh, oh, what's his um, look at uh, Steve uh, Steve Turner. Turner. Like obviously, yeah. that guy was like, there's no way he wanted to be in a band that sounded anything metal. Like he definitely wanted to be in the Stooges. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, at the um. So when Sybil kind of forms, where did where did Sybil fit in scene wise? Like, what kind of bands were you playing with?
1: Yeah, um, we played a lot with Gas Huffer because I mean, and we didn't sound like Gas. Yeah, Huffer. Joe Newton, the drummer, dated Tammy, the singer of Sybil. You know, okay. so uh, we would do, the, and um, we played with. Let's see, like it. There really wasn't like the. We would play with like the derelicts even, you know, they were punk rock, but, um, and we, I'm, I wanted to just get on sub pop. I wanted to put out a sub pop single (laughs) in Sybil and we didn't, we, we ended up on empty, which is a cool label. Yeah.
0: Like I love empty, but it's like very much more like a, like a a different kind of sound than, than Sybil had. Like, it seems like you'd be much more fitting on a sub pop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, MT had that, they were kind of like Gas Huffer was on MT Mm -hmm. and Joe Newton was also an artist. So he he had all the graphics that like went with MT and Gas Huffer and like, that's, that's not a Sybil thing. Like I didn't feel like connected to that, (laughs) but, um, yeah. So, I mean, when we, I wanted to, um, I loved Sybil and I wanted to, um, um, I think, you know, there was that also, I think like my brother wanted to, to be a little heavier too, but then also I think we were all so drunk in that band <laughs> and it, it could have really done so much more if, you know, yeah. um, yeah. And it's, yeah.
0: It's funny too. Cause like, it's amazing how, you know, depending on where you get slotted as a band, it's kind of determines your fate, you know, like winding up on empty records. It's like maybe on a different label, you would have been able to find like, you know, the, the audience out of the gate that, you know, kind of identified with that sound more, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah. And we had all the rights, you know, we had, we asked, Charles Peterson was our friend. So he came over and he did our, um, you know, single pic. He did that photo on the steps of Tammy's apartment, you know, where yeah. we all hung out and, um, we, you know, recorded our songs at, um, you know, our friend Rolf's studio. And, um, when the sing, when that single came out, it was kind of huge when I remember being in LA, like after joining whole and hearing it on KXLU, you know, and then yes. hearing how, how it, it's reached later on that, how, you know, people have it and will, you know, say. Oh, it's so good. I love this, you know, or like Barry Hensler was a huge Sybil fan. I'm not kidding. No, that's awesome. Him.
0: You got the motor love, booty right up, I, I guess. I know.
1: Oh, I love, love, love him. <laughs> and not because he's in Necros and not because he's a redhead. He's just a beautiful person.
0: <laughs> and because he was in Big Chief.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I saw Big Chief so many times. and Yeah. Oh, Yeah. So, yeah, he had me sign a Sybil single, but yeah, it was so
0: good. Well, that's like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like, you know, now you're one of those bands that people like us can discover. Yeah. You know, you've got obviously a very well-established, you know, career in music as well, but this is like, you also have these deep cuts, like these great records that, uh, you know, kind of, once again, like, you know, people can find now. Mm -hmm. why did the name change was it like a another band with a copyright issue
1: yeah there was a lawsuit there was a um a singer named sybil Uh, just she was like a you know know, like um r&b soul singer sybil and so there was like a cease and desist thing and so we were just like oh well then we'll call it kill sybil
0: (laughs) 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 that's a better way of handing it than calling it like Sybil 182.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. Or Sybil UK. Yeah, or Sybil UK.
0: Sybil X. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, about that song, Olympia, was born out of the fact that, you know, us in Seattle in in 1990, we were... We all hung out together, but we all drank together a lot, you know. And the kids in Olympia, we would go to shows there if there was a band that we wanted to see. But that was like cr- going into a different country because, like, they their energy, their thing was totally different than ours. So, and like Olympia, in the lyrics to that song, it's sort of like poking fun at how they're straight edge, you know, or they they had a they were like they had such a, you know, a, their community was so not about drugs and alcohol (laughs) and and ours was all about it. Theirs was about like, you know, writing music and crafting and stuff (laughs) that I'm into now, but, you know, um, but yeah, so the, the, and so that's what Olympia was about. And sort of poking fun at that
0: kind of. And that's like one of my, I love that song. Um, and like, it was like, did you have any connection to that those bands at all? or are you kind of like, no, i'm I'm like this oh, is I did. My, I'm downtown um, Seattle.
1: no, no, I loved Olympia. <laughs> yeah. I loved um I mean, cause that was more the like screaming trees would be we'd see screaming trees there more often in Olympia and Tacoma and you know, nirvana. um, and I loved with all the stuff Calvin was doing, like he yeah. had amazing bands and and he'd put out those the k compilations mm-hmm. and they he i want him to like release re-release all that stuff on those cassettes but i there's just i even wrote an email <laughs> and said <laughs> please please <laughs> and it's not they won't do it i don't know why
0: i imagine there must be like you know, not with every band, but I imagine some of those bands, there might be some like copyright issues or people don't want that stuff coming out. But like, there must be so many killer cuts on those things. Yes. Like, God. Uh, it, it's, but it's good that there's still like, you know, there's still stuff that could come out, you know, there's still like reissues that can happen that, you know, so it's yeah. nice to know that there's another generation of people that will be right. able to make those discoveries.
1: Yeah. Yes. Treasures.
0: There was, there was also kind of like another parallel scene kind of happening at the same time, which is that, that like the, the actual straight edge scene with bands like Brotherhood and I think Mm -hmm. False Liberty before that and Resolution, um, like Nate's band from Foo Fighters. Was that on your radar at that point at all?
1: Yes. Because, um, when I was in the primitives, we played with, um, we played with Diddly Squat, which is Nate's band and (laughs) because there was a skate um ramp show and I remember my brother would do flyers for us so he created this cool flyer where he like cut and pasted like he put a um, like a skate ramp and it was like you know Joe uh, jo, you know John Stevenson's backyard <laughs> skate ramp show and then you know like he would cut and paste like put Manson's face over a guy you know, skateboarding. And then, so it's like primitives, diddly squat, you know, and uh, these bands. And that's when, I And mean, Eric Ocri was the drummer of diddly squat. And he went on to do, um, to play drums in Sybil after I left and he's a genius, but, um, yeah. So there, and I remember getting ready for a show, like we were trying to put a show together and I had the, this phone number of this kid who was, in false liberty, right? Ugh. And I remember calling the house, and, and like the phone answers. There is somebody answers the phone, and I go, "Hey, um, is Greg there?" <laughs> and 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 the, this woman goes, uh, "Who is this?" And I say, "Oh, this is Patty. I'm calling about a show for a blah, blah blah." And she's like, "I'm sorry, Greg cannot take phone calls past nine o'clock." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God, it's his mom!" It's his. This is Greg Anderson's mom. <laughs> oh, and I was like, oh, this, and I would go, wow, is there, and he's straight edge too. <laughs> you know, I love False Liberty, but they, they like, I, I felt like that, I thought it was kind of cool. I was like, oh, he's young, and his mom won't let him answer the phone. <laughs> Greg ends up, you know, going on to be in different bands, and then eventually, years later, he and I end up in the back of a van on the way to a KISS concert. And when KISS did that reunion tour in 96, So we're, um, like we go pick up, like I was with some friends, like getting a ride from LA to Irvine. And, you know, they pull up and like this guy gets in and I'm like, oh my God, Greg? And he's like, oh, hey. So we're driving in this van and we're, everybody's talking. And I'm like, okay, everybody listen up. The year was 19... 19- Eighty-seven, and remember, false liberty. You know, Greg was like, "Don't, don't." Greg's <laughs> mom oh. answered the phone. Now he's in his ba- his his band. His son is it is yeah. it that heavy band with the hoods?
0: Yep. Yeah, no, he's he's doing Sun, and and you know he's the he's the Southern Lord himself these days. And yeah, you know, but you know, as we as we both know. Everyone's got a mom, and I know. And mom's law is law. Sometimes
1: I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: well, you know what? Like you know, you know, if, if you can't rebel in your teenage years, you can rebel years later.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know. And, it, and I remember talking to Nate kind of recently about that Nate Mandel about deadly yeah. squat, and I was like, "Do you remember that skate ramp show?" You no. Know, and um, and he was like, uh, "He doesn't remember it." <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was on mm-hmm. he was on the podcast too one time and it's like i always find it like amazing to hear different people's takes on you know like a band like nirvana right because they're like so yeah. they're so important you know like obviously it's someone like myself you know and, and a lot of people but to other people they were like not as important so like there's this show i think it was at the aurora ballroom and Uh, Nico Case Mm -hmm. was on this podcast one time. She's like, I saw them. It was like a transcendent moment. It was one of the greatest bands I'd ever seen. And she's like, this was, you know, seeing that concert, seeing them play that. And then I was talking to Nate about it. I'm like, do you see them? He's like, yeah, I opened the door. I looked at him. I'm like, oh, cool. These guys are trying to sound like Black Sabbath. Neat. And closed the door and and walked away. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, people talk about the the very first Nirvana show, like at Community World Theater, and yeah. and people are like, "Oh my God, what was it like?" And I go, "Well, you know, it was three guys. One guy, the drummer, looked like he, he had a, he had a mustache, which was out of place, kind of. Yeah. You know, he had like a, sort of a handlebar, and they just did they just did Credence songs. That's it. <laughs> the planets did not shift, and you know, yeah."
0: yeah. Well, it gives you hope for, you know, for all those kids out there that like have that first terrible mm-hmm. concert. Like, you know, we all have our credence moments. <laughs> right. Got to start somewhere. <laughs> start somewhere. Um, Patty, I could honestly punish you all day. And I know we are barely yes. into your music journey, but I don't want to keep you too long if you have to go. I-, I would love to invite you back for a part two at some point. I would love to because I we have just scratched the surface we are just at you know we're not even at Sybil breaking up we're just at the Sybil name change so we've got a ways to go um but I think this has been once again one of those things that has exceeded all my expectations and this is going to go down as one of my favorite episodes ever and thank you so much for doing this
1: um I'm glad we got to connect because I'm such a fan
0: Thank you, Patty, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Patty's going to be back for continuations in the future. Speaking of the future, Sunday, February 25th, I will be in Los Angeles, the city where Patty is uh, residing, because I will be there for this very, very, very awesome Turned out of punk live, the punk wrestling connection. Even if you're not a fan of wrestling, there's gonna be a lot of talk about music too, trust me. Uh, but it's gonna be featuring people from music and from wrestling, just conversating about music and wrestling, punk specifically. People from wrestling that are into punk. You know, there's a lot of people in all types of music and wrestling, but a lot of punks. You know, disproportionate number of punks. And then later on that night, there's gonna be a great wrestling event I'm gonna be involved in as well as a ring announcer. Living the dream this weekend. Living the dream in Los Angeles. So if you want to come out, come out. Bring weed. Uh, I don't think we can smoke in the venue, of course, but we can smoke because it's legal in California now. And we will enjoy. And I look forward to seeing you guys there. All of you. Everyone. Please. Uh, That's it. Next week on the show, the hits keep on coming. Shaka Malik of the band Burn of Orange 9 Millimeter. Uh, of, of the new breed comp uh, we are getting the second I guess the, we're getting the other half of the new breed compilation coming on this show someone I've wanted to talk to forever one of the greatest front people of all time and uh, someone that's come up a lot on the show you know, a huge figure in the MVP episode a huge figure in music oh, you'll hear it all next week that is next week on the show thank you everyone for listening resident downtown Los Angeles February 25th, I will see you there and uh, that's it. Go out there and make your own culture. All you need is a podcast microphone, a Rode podcaster microphone, and a computer. And I, I'm just making this, you know. So anyone can go do this stuff. Go out and do this stuff. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I will see you next week. Bye.